Heroin is a hobby. Tango is a real addiction. You forget about everything when you're dancing. Well, I, um, my name is Manuela. I am 40 years old. I just turned 40. During pandemic, I had my most memorable birthday in May. <laughs> uh, I live in Argentina, although I'm Portuguese. I've been living here for uh, 14 years now. Before we go, what, what was your birthday like during lockdown? What did you do? Oh, it was great. Uh, my closest friends, and by closest, I mean not only the two ones that I have most years with uh, in friendship, uh, but also the ones who live closer, because here we were in full lockdown, so you could walk maybe five blocks away from your house. They sneaked and they brought me a birthday cake and a couple of beers to my apartment. And we were talking like this because we were scared to death that any neighbor would uh, turn us into the police because we, we were not supposed to do that. So it was uh, five of us here at home, a birthday cake and, uh, and a couple of beers that we could, we felt like um, smugglers or something, robbers of any kind. 40 is quite a, a sort of a year to, memor uh, to be memorable anyway. So to have it in lockdown and to be sort of um, having it surreptitiously is, is great. You, you've been in uh, Argentina 14 years now. What, what, what do you do in Argentina? What's your profession? I'm a psychologist. Uh, and uh, when I came to Argentina, it seems like a lifetime ago, uh, 14 years ago, almost 15, uh, I came to become a tango dancer. I was already a psychologist and I was already dancing, but in Portugal, uh, and by that time we were facing this tremendous um, job crisis. We couldn't find jobs, especially the young professionals that were starting to to enter the, the, the market. So after a couple of years searching and searching and not being able to do anything, I decided to leave the country uh, and I decided even to change profession. That moment, I was 24, 25, I was about just, I had just became a psychologist and I was disappointed because I couldn't make a career out of it. And I fell into a tango class in the gym and I completely fell in love with the tango dancing. I very easily made friends with the, the couple that was teaching tango, which was a couple of Argentinians. And I started dancing with them and I decided to come on vacation to meet Argentina. That was September year 2004. And I completely fell in love with the nightlife of Buenos Aires and the tango, which is a fascinating, unbelievable subworld. So I came to Argentina trying to find tango. And I did find tango. But I also find that psychologists in Argentina work very well. So they're well respected in, in Argentina. Indeed. What area of psychology are you um, involved in? So I would say I work mostly in organizational and industrial psychology and forensic psychology. Forensic psychology. Must be quite intense. It is. So I suppose, I suppose tango is a, a, a kind of a, like a valve. You mentioned this subworld of tango is it sort of like a is it a parallel universe of, of, of tango if you like it is a subworld it is completely detached from the rest of the world the rest of the activities and once you become a tanguero once you start dancing and you get into that world you become first an addict in the beginning tango is an addiction uh, we say as a joke that uh, heroin is a hobby tango is a real addiction 
And and you said tango, they don't dance, but they live tango. So what what is the essence of tango? What is? I mean, it sounds almost like a, a religious philosophy. How do you say that in English? Um, like when a religion is a little bit too much and it becomes sectarian and asks for people to do stuff that they really shouldn't? like. Yeah, it becomes a sect. A sect, yeah. Well, tango is a sect. Once you get in, you cannot get out. Uh, the first couple of years you're dancing tango, you don't talk about anything else. There is nothing else that interests you in this life that is not going out and dancing tango and get back home at 8 a.m. with your shoes in your hand because you cannot wear your heels any longer. You live during the night, you skip, uh, you, you lose jobs because you don't go on time and you fell asleep in your desk, you do all those, those kinds of things. So the first two years, I mean, like, I like that, you are a complete addict. And then it becomes a part of your life and you kind of uh, live in that world and in the other world and you have a double life. And uh, in the world of tango, you are always in between love and hate. You are always in between um, light and shadow, or always in between god and the devil sometimes you love the environment of tango and it feels like a family and it feels like it contains you and you you are protected from everything because you have tango with you and no matter what happens you will always have your tango and some other times you feel like it's the most hideous misogynist horrible world possible where everybody's trying to take advantage of each other and, <laughs> and it's a business after all and you have to deal with the two is there a typical tanguero? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, there is. <laughs> okay. I see, this is the thing about the, the subworld of tango. When you enter the subworld of tango and once the tango bug bites you, there is no antidote. I mean, so you, you become like a tanguero forever. There is like a definite thing in your life. It changes your life in all of your choices. When you dance the tango, you have your partner just kind of take me through a, a, a dance what, what's the feeling what are you feeling what, is, what are the emotions you forget about everything when you're dancing close your eyes and imagine you're dancing mm -hmm. so just tell me what you're feeling well the first thing you feel is the embrace and the embrace is the most important part of tango. The embrace is everything. You feel the other arms around you and you place your arms around and you feel this intense force that bonds you together but at the same time keeps you apart. It becomes a force that binds you together and makes it happen. Everything happens at the exact same time that it has to happen. The music tells you when to step. And it is a mindful Zen state. More than anything I have experienced as meditation or Zen or Tai Chi or other um, exercises that we can do so that we can be mindful. Uh, there is none like tango, I can assure you that. And what you feel when you have to open your eyes and see what's going on so that you won't step on anybody else or the, an accident won't happen. It's like you've been awakened from a hypnosis. In March this year, the music stopped. For my students, I have a little group of students here. They are my friends. It's three friends of mine. 
and they are completely submerged in their tango addiction. David, you have no idea how depressed they were. So for me, in March, when I had to live without my milongas and my tangos, it was sad, but it was also a relief because 50% of my energy was put to that. So I suddenly had 50% of my energy available for other objectives. So it was actually nice. I guess the subworld is also, it fuels an economy, its own economic system and things. And so it's, it's almost an industry as well, supporting tango. So the effect on that must have been quite devastating. Devastating, yeah. Buenos Aires has uh, three cultures that uh, are very important for the day-to-day -day living and making money of the people who live here in the city, specifically in the city, which is the tango, the nightlife, and the theater, the theater rooms. Buenos Aires has this uh, culture of theater, of how to make, how to perform, how to act, how to speak, how to say, how to put in scene. Uh, very different from uh, other theater schools I have met in other countries. And you have from tremendously expensive to free, and you just give them uh, some money that you have in your pocket that you leave it in a hat when you go away. And tango is the same. We have very expensive ballroom places where you have to go all dressed up so that you can enter and dance, and you pay to enter, and it's so expensive. And every single thing you buy inside is expensive. And then you have this illegal milongas that happen in the house of somebody where you just knock on the door and you have a password to get in and you don't pay anything and we all dance in our jeans. And all those people lost their jobs, all of them. Not only the ones who dance, but the ones who sell you the, the beer in the bar, the ones who open the door for you, the bouncers, uh, the taxi drivers that would have to drive you around for you to go to those places, the one who sells you the clothes, the one who sells you the shoes, the, the receptionist of the place that you go and have your class wear. Everything. Argentina at the moment, I think, you know, it's safe to say is, is going through quite an economic upheaval, not, not least you know, COVID is at least having a, some impact on that. So tango is um, a form of escape from that. You know, you, you, you've exited the, the world of, you know, devaluations and, and economic woe and you know, other perhaps personal issues. And so now there isn't that. There are some people that are forced into thinking, okay, I need to normalize in, in, in some way. Is that right? In tango, we live a fake life because those people, you really don't know them. And that is marvelous and tremendous at the same time. David, I have been embraced face to face, sweat to sweat with people from all over the world I don't know their names. I don't know if they're married. I don't know if they have kids. I don't know what they do. I don't know who they are. But when we dance, we are one. So to lose the first part was horrible, but to lose the second part was actually great. And people had to question, what am I doing in tango all the time? What am I doing going to the milongas all the time? What am I doing putting this as a priority in my life over anything else? And that reflection also turned out to be positive. And the same way people started exercising and working out at home, somehow people understood that they would have to look for more meaningful relationships instead of being constantly high on the fake relationships that Tango gives us every day. When, when the pandemic started, what was the government's response to it? The government's response was very fast. 
uh, we have a, uh, we had a shift of government in November uh, to 2019. So it was a new government that on March was facing a totally unexpected uh, scenario. It was uh, 16th of March, if I don't miscalculate, that he closed the doors, the, the frontiers, and demanded a first lockdown of 14 days. And he was very fast and sharp about it. And he said, I'm not going to wait. Uh, I don't, I'm not prepared to see the numbers that we are seeing in Italy. I'm not prepared to see in Argentina the numbers that you guys are seeing in Italy. So that's not going to happen here. Not on, I mean, like the message was not, in, not on my watch. So he said, okay, let's lock down. And then every, every two weeks, he would come to the national TV channel to, to communicate with everybody. There's a specific time in which he talks. And he would say, okay, we're going to be at home for two more days. I'm sorry, but we're going to have to do this. We all need to stick together. And there was like this constant reinforcement that people should watch out, be careful, take precautions. The mask has been mandatory here ever since. However, then they extended it a little bit too long. How, how long? Uh, well, they, it was uh, 18th of August when they started opening. And lockdown here was really lockdown. I mean, the restaurants were closed, the bars were closed, the cafes were closed. Nightlife is still closed. Only the restaurants began to open with the tables outdoors. How the government is sort of managing, um, are they testing? Is there mass testing of uh, COVID? Are, are people being traced um, generally? What, what's the sort of the, the kind of the, the overall healthcare sort of situation? Uh, in April, May, they would they what we saw on the on the papers was uh, they were testing massively in uh, neighborhoods that are uh, crowded and where people live with uh, social uh, problems and economical problems the most complicated neighborhoods in town they say they were testing massively but in those kinds of uh, neighborhoods here sometimes people don't have water sometimes people don't have um, water closet with a discharge like we all have in our homes maybe a few of them don't even have a fridge so they don't have conditions to be clean uh, and uh, isolated from each other if one's get if one gets contaminated maybe 18 people around will get contaminated because it's not like you and me that we live in houses where we can have a lot of procedures to reduce the risks and they say they were testing there i never saw anything and I never heard what happened to all the cases that they were supposed to have discovered. And I never heard that the people who were detected to have uh, been infected uh, were translated to a facility where they could be assisted and they could be treated and they could be followed. I did hear, I did hear about hospitals that were set in specific places so that those people could be there isolated and treated conveniently. But I never heard that those hospitals were ever fulfilled with the people that should have been there. So it's kind of like there is a double message in the social media and the press. For one side, they say, we are making hospitals, we are buying uh, those machines to, to breathe, that they have to, uh, ventilators. So give us two months, we'll have all of those, and, uh, and then we can open the economy. It's been eight months. One of the things I've noticed about other countries um, during COVID is um, education and those that have locked down uh, here in the UK uh, and, and, and lots of other countries, the schools were closed as well. Was that the case in, in Argentina or in Buenos Aires at least? They are still closed. They're still closed. They are now opening uh, only the, the 
for kids that are 16, 17 and 18, I think only those are going to have a last couple of months of presential classes outdoors. And that's where they're going to have some classes so that they can make their exams, which are now in the end of the year, in December usually. And we'll, and then from December to April is vacation. And in April, let's see if they open the schools again. Are the children themselves beginning to suffer from not mixing and things? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have noticed uh, a couple of interesting things. Kids have become, and, th and that was really surprising to me because it's especially teenagers in their 12, 13, 14 years, they have become very obedient, strictly following the rules, tremendously afraid that something will happen to them or their parents. You will say to a teenager or a 12-year-old girl, like the niece of a friend of mine, we would say, hey, let's go have an ice cream. It's right here. But is it essential? Can't we ask for the ice cream and have the, the ice cream here at home? I don't think it's good that we walk five blocks all together until the ice cream shop they are afraid teenagers the ones who are supposed to disobey the ones who are supposed to transgress the rules to challenge the rules to they're the ones being strictly obeyed because they're scared to death and in kids and i know this for a couple of friends of mine who are school teachers uh, they say uh, we've never seen so many child depression in our years of teaching So how, you know, the, the general populace of um, Argentina or Buenos Aires, at least, are they all following the guidelines? Is, there, you know, is everyone, do you feel that everyone is together in this? It's a good question. Um, as for following the guidelines, that's not an Argentinian ability. Uh, there were these very funny uh, news in, uh, in the newspaper, which was um, the percentage of people that had broken uh, the rules of lockdown to meet people that they had met on Tinder. And the percentage was something like 42% of single people had broken the lockdown to meet someone they had met in Tinder. And can you blame them? I mean, we were in lockdown for seven months. <laughs> that is frustrating. <laughs> they didn't kind of uh, follow the rules because of uh, some sort of machismo or, or, or is, it, um, is there a trust issue? It's a trust issue. <laughs> it's, Argentinians trust no one. No one? Maybe they're psychologists. <laughs> well, I hope so. So where does this trust issue stem from? Well, um, both the trust issue and the culture of going to the psychologists are supposed to have started on the same year, which was the year 2001. In the year 2001, a big economical crisis occurred in Argentina and people lost their savings of all their life. So in Argentina, they had for a few years, one Argentine peso would be the same as one American dollar. So the money that they had here were dollars. So it was a lot of money until the year 2001, uh, when they said, OK, we are broken. So all the money that you had that were dollars are now going to be pesos and it became three and a half pesos for a dollar. So their savings became about 25% of what they had. And also the money was retained inside the banks for months and months and months. And people would go and line up in the, in the, in the doors of the bank asking for, to have their money and they wouldn't give them money. They shut the banks. This was 2001. When I came here in 2004, the doors of the banks were still all painted in spray. Murderers, assassins, you're all thieves in the doors of the banks. 
And from that day on, everybody went to therapy because a lot of people became depressed, anxious, suicidal, having panic attacks, whatever, because they lost all the savings of all their lives and they lost their hopes and dreams. And they never trusted a bank or a government ever again. As well as um, the impact, uh, the economic impact, have there been any other issues or impacts that you've, you've noticed since COVID uh, arrived in Argentina? As far as I can read and, uh, and the numbers that I could see, uh, the only crime that was raised was precisely violence against women. Domestic violence was increased by like a lot. I didn't see any case directly, but that's what I've been told for colleagues that work in, uh, for example, in public hospitals. Is there legal protection for, for women? The laws here have been changed to protect women. We have what is called the police station of the woman which is a police station that specifically is designed so that you can uh, ask for help. It's sometimes difficult to, to find that good news story. I, I don't know, it'd be nice to, to hear if you have any... I have a great story for... Uh, oh, tell me. For... <laughs> what happened to me during the pandemic, in the worst moment of the pandemic, in which you could only get out of your house to go to the supermarket and buy some groceries, was uh, just like in the Pulp song. Um, I met her at the supermarket. I didn't know, but I had to start somewhere, so I started there. So... <laughs> So what happened to me was that I uh, started talking to a neighbor of mine in the in the supermarket, buying groceries, buying bananas more specifically. And we started talking about the varieties because he's from Dominican Republic. So he knows a lot of different kinds of bananas. To me, it's all bananas. Or for him, it's a whole different thing. So we started talking about that. We realized we were neighbors and we realized we, the both of us were living here alone because he's also another foreigner living in Argentina. And I was very nervous in the beginning of the, of the pandemic. I was very uh, worried and I was scared. And somehow he read that and he said, listen, you shouldn't be so isolated. Uh, I go out and walk around using the bag as if I was going shopping in my arm so that the police won't tell me anything. Mm -hmm. And I just walk around the 10 blocks that I have to walk uh, on Mondays and Fridays. Do you want to come with me? Because at least you will go out of your house in those, in those two days. And I said, okay, fine. I thought it was a great idea and I thought it was nice. And uh, we started walking and we started talking. And after a, first, uh, and after a few weeks uh, walking and getting to know each other, we found love in the middle of pandemic. And uh, it was full quarantine and every, there was police everywhere and they would stop us at every five blocks. So we decided to live together from the very first day because that way we wouldn't go out that much. And it's working. <laughs> Fantastic. What a wonderful story. So meeting, meeting over bananas and suddenly you, you found a soulmate. How wonderful. What, how long have you been together now? 20, April the 23rd. So uh, six months and something. Yeah. Gosh, that's, that's quite, that's really is quite something though, isn't it? To go from um, <clears throat> living on your own, being independent, uh, having your own space to then suddenly meeting somebody and you know, sharing, uh, you know, sharing your life. Sharing absolutely every single minute. Yes, it was uh, obviously something that would have never occurred in this way if the circumstances were others, because you don't go and live together with the person on the first day if you are not in a pandemic and you cannot get out. You, you take a couple of years to get to know each other because before you decide to live together. 
It's funny, isn't it? All those norms, as you say, you know, that that kind of uh, that gentle period, that that period of just getting to know one another, and then you know, the, the, you know, starting the intimacy, and then you start to you know spend time, more time together, and and then it's a it's a long protracted period, and you discover that in gosh, a matter of weeks, by the sound of it. And and the divorces increase. What we found was the other way around was a reason to to bond together and to and to create a common project. That's, that's an interesting way of saying it, a common project. <laughs> it was a big jump, but it worked, and uh, and we are very happy. And uh, and it's just like you said, uh, I found a soulmate in the middle of the, the least possibility, eventually possible, in which I think in which I thought I would find someone. Thank you.